If you detected a disturbance in the force last month, you're not alone. Not only did Top Gun Maverick turn the box office upside down, but two wildly anticipated shows appeared on the small screen. We're talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi and Stranger Things 4, of course. We'll discuss both of these shows today, both of which uh, have some huge cultural influence. I'm Paul Acey, and I'm joined by Jonathan McKee, Emily Clark, and Bob Hoos. We'll start our conversation with Obi-Wan, and we'll tell you everything you need to know about the show, the franchise, and Obi-Wan himself. Then we'll fly through hyperspace to Netflix and land on Stranger Things, the new series of which has taken a darker, one might say even demonic, turn. And then we'll be joined by our Jedi-like producer, Ashley, who will lead us in another round of Pop Culture Connection. With all that on tap, I'm sure that this is the show you're looking for. As Jedi usual. Like. <laughs> Jedi-like. I'm just so impressed that Ashley's Jedi-like. She is... Jedis aren't able to count correctly when keeping score. Is that correct? I just wondered <laughs> about that. Was, oh, the bitterness. The bitterness, okay, Jonathan. Just, I just wondered. It was just, just a question. Just a question. <laughs> All right. So we're going to begin today's conversation with a question, of course. Um, we all know, since we're talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi, we, it, naturally the question would swing toward a Star Wars question. But I'm going to go off kilter a little bit. Um, the Star Wars franchise, I think we, we would all agree, is probably the most influential franchise in American cinematic history. It's made, you know, $10 billion, just the movies alone. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, what is the most influential franchise in your own life? You see, that's hard for me because I would say that Star Wars is probably like one of the top three fran most influential franchises in my own life. <laughs> um, the other two, I'll just name the one that definitely I think it started when I was youngest and uh, – I think I discover new things about it every year, so it's probably more influential because it's not just nostalgia, and that would be the Lord of the Rings franchise for mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that one, I think that one can count. <laughs> That's yeah, I I think it totally can count, and you can go with Star Wars too. I mean, no, it's a I, big I'm deal. trying to choose a non-Star Wars option here. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, um, you know, I, I hearken back to actually Star Trek. Really? Because nice. I'm wow. more of a Star Trek, Trekkie than Star Warsy kind of guy. I, I, <laughs> I don't think the movies have necessarily been as good, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But just starting back in the days of the TV show, the first TV show on, um, that's been a, a series that I've really turned to quite often. Wow. So I just have to ask you a question. Have you watched all the Star Trek series? Well, I no, actually, you know, I haven't seen the most recent one. The most recent, what, 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 is, the, what is the new Strange Star Trek? Strange New Worlds? Yeah, I haven't seen any of that yet. So, Jonathan, what about you? Um, well, you know, it's funny when you say the most, like, impactful or whatever. I, I don't know. If it was the most quotable, it'd definitely be the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I mean, we just, <laughs> we can't, I mean, we'll be, we'll be loading the card. I'll be like, hey, toss me that life jacket. And my, my wife will be like, toss me. And I'll be like, oh, don't tell the elf. You know, I mean, we just... <laughs> I mean, we, we quote it all the time. We can't get through a day without probably a line coming out. So, and, and I mean, honestly, they were just so good. And I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. I love it, you know. But I mean, 
you know, Lord of the Rings probably is much more quotable because we aren't often quoting, you know, hmm. but I have to go to the Tashi station to get some power converters. I don't know. <laughs> it just does, does, doesn't happen as much. So You know, every time Jonathan talks about sitting down and talking to his kids, I think in my head, thou shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So for me, I actually think it might be this is a very unplugged in thing to say, but truly the most influential franchise in my life was probably James Bond. Okay. <laughs> you know, because I grew up with those movies. They, I think I've even mentioned this on this podcast. You know, James Bond was the dude who I wanted to be. James Bond, I, I will accept that because. Accept it. <laughs> well, I took. Well, a, it's okay then, Paul. She accepted. <laughs> Thank no, you, Your no. Highness. Like, I just want to say, like, I took a college course um, where it was like, it, it was all about spy novels and stuff. So, of course, we studied, you know, or, or not really studied, but we read the James Bond books. Mm. Uh, not all of them, but, mm. you know, so it's like, I, I can get behind that because if it's, if it's serious enough to be considered for a college course, then yeah. yeah. Well, and, and again, I watched it when I was sort of an influenced, open youth, right? I watched it on TV. I thought, oh, this is how I can get dates. <laughs> Dressing up in a tux, speaking in an English accent. Putting a machine gun in your headlights. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's right. Well, you know, I do have my Throwing your hat on the hat rack. Too, so. <laughs> Anyway, the, I would not recommend James Bond for – it has a lot of plugged-in problems. But when I was growing up and not a member of Plugged In, it was very influential in good ways and bad. So from that question, we'll go on to the biggest granddaddy franchise of them all, potentially, and that's, of course, Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen a ton of movies. We're now seeing a ton of TV shows, and the latest is Obi-Wan Kenobi, released May 27th on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the character, however – is not new. The t character goes back to the very, very beginning of Star Wars, which right. came 1977, 45 years ago. Right. So it's he's almost technically as old as I am. Um, so, Bob, for those who don't know Star Wars from Star Trek, ah. <laughs> can you tell me what this guy is all about? Sure, I can give you a thumbnail idea of who Obi-Wan is. Now, uh, I'm probably the only one here that actually saw the first film in the theaters, so I've got that experience. Um, <laughs> Makes you, you a Jedi of your That's charts. right. That's right. Uh, in, he was introduced, as you said, in the first film, but we didn't know much about him in that film. Uh, he was uh, this sort of older Jedi master, and the Jedi, of course, is this noble order of protectors who, uh, who fight with uh, lightsabers and use that mystical, magical force. And anyway, it was his job to step up and sort of give the protagonist of the film, Luke, the crash course on what it takes to be a Jedi. You know, how to use that force. Didn't have much time with him because actually he was sort of killed off right away. So <laughs> Spoiler warning. Yeah. So we didn't, as I said, we didn't really know much about him. But in the years since, the whole nine movie arc and all the books and TV shows and animations and all that stuff. It's his life story has become rather convoluted and twisted and weaving a, a, yeah. a, quite a story. But to sort of boil it all down, we found out that that Obi-Wan was actually the Jedi master who raised up Luke's dad, mm -hmm. Anakin Skywalker, 
And, and it was prophesied that Anakin would be a pretty important person in the whole galaxy and br maybe bring peace to the galaxy. But it turned out not to be the case. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anakin turned to the dark side of the Force. <laughs> whatever that, whatever the Darth Vader said. Oh my. And he, and he became, and he, he eventually became Darth Vader, the really, you know, the Empire's henchman and Luke's arch nemesis. And, but we also found out that Luke himself, Darth Vader, when he became Darth Vader, didn't know that he had a son or a daughter and that those kids were, were born just before their mom died and they were sent off into the galaxy. Okay, and that's important because in Obi-Wan's story at this point, mm -hmm. Obi-Wan took little baby Luke to the uh, the planet of Tatooine, Tatooine, mm -hmm. and gave him to relatives. And he, but he stayed there. We didn't know this really beforehand. Mm -hmm. He stayed on the planet of Tatooine, and he sort of watched over him. And when we start this new series, he's kind of disheartened. He's because of the failure he had with uh, Anakin slash Darth Vader, he sort of feels like, man, I messed up. And he's, in a sense, sort of stepped back from his Jedi role. Mm -hmm. And he's just sort of a guy who works in a meat plant, you know? Yeah. And, and that's where we find him now, uh, and, which is an interesting place to start. Yeah, no, it's it. he's a fascinating character in this because you do see that he is... He is sort of beaten down by the choices that he's made, yeah. right? He's yeah. made mistakes, and those weigh very, very heavily on him. He is still doing his duty. He's still watching over Luke. Uh, but but then something sort of happens that propels him in an entirely different direction. Well, in, I see another thing I'll just throw in real quick. The one thing that I found interesting was that they implied that he kind of wants to train Luke when he's tiny. Mm -hmm. He wants to start really young, and Luke's uncle says, nah, get away, stay away. I'm asking you to leave us alone, Ben. I mean it. We talked about this. When the time comes, he must be trained. Like you trained his father? Poor Uncle Owen. I mean, because, you know, he, he meets Anakin, you know, in Attack of the Clones, and... You know, he's like, oh, cool, you're my long-lost stepbrother, you know, and then he went on with his life, and then all of a sudden, a few years later, Obi-Wan shows up and is like, here's your crazy brother's kid. <laughs> <laughs> you get to raise you, him now. <laughs> you take care of him. And, and oh, by the way, he probably has, you know, all the midichlorians that will make him a Jedi, and, you know, so you're just going to have to deal with that transformation. There's a chance he could also go to the dark side. I think that he and his wife wanted to raise Luke as their own child. And I think they did do that. And as Luke got older, they were like, we don't want him to go dark. We don't. So no, sorry. Take your force. Take all that mystical stuff. And no, just stay away from us. We don't want it. Because, you know, they he calls him a crazy old man, I think, in A, a New Hope. So he was not a fan of... Obi-Wan slash Ben Kenobi. Yeah. You, you, you know, any, anybody just 
tuning into this and not knowing all that much about Star Wars would say, now that's a lot of Star Wars geeks right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's a good place to actually start with the story itself that we're talking about, right? Because we, we meet all of these characters sort of in mid-process, right. it seems. You know, you have, you have Uncle Owen, who is pretty determined now to keep Luke on the farm. Luke, we see, uh, is gallivanting around. You can tell he's that 10. he's... He's 10. He wants to play, and he's pretending to be on a land speeder in the first, mm. in the yeah, first yeah. episode. And, and, you know, Obi-Wan is just plagued by what has happened in his life. And I think that, that um, some of us of a certain age can sympathize with when our decisions go awry, we see that within yeah. him, right? But in the show itself, I was the guy who reviewed the show. What happens is he doesn't spend very much time on Tatooine at all. No. His Luke's twin sister, Leia, actually zips away. She's kidnapped uh, on her own planet of Alderaan. Um, by these inquisitors that people know that they're they're basically designed to wipe out all the Jedi, all the remaining Jedi is their task. Um, so Leia is kidnapped because they know that Obi-Wan has ties to her family, the Organa family. This mm-hmm. man, for people who are just coming into well, this cold. But that's that's the question. If families, in your opinion, mm-hmm. Mr. Reviewer of the show, uh, <laughs> if families are coming into this for the first time, and they're not really all that well-versed, is it going to be totally confusing? Well, I do think it is. I think that when you're talking about the Star Wars universe, there is a lot of complexity. Um, And I do think that it requires some familiarity with what has come before to truly enjoy this story. Sure. Um, You can see some universal elements in it, but for the most part, this is for fans of Star Wars. Uh, What about problems? One of the things that we find in the Star Wars universe is that it's actually pretty clean. You know, when you think about these big blockbuster properties, you don't have to deal with a lot of sensuality. You don't have to deal with a lot of language. I don't think in the first two episodes that I saw there was a single swear word. Um, You do have some violence. These people are swinging lightsabers and shooting blasters, so you have that. It's reasonably bloodless, although for some reason in every single Star Wars property, someone loses a hand, and you see that hand. So that happens in this. But it's a cauterized wound. It's a cauterized wound. Because it's a lightsaber. Sorry. (laughs) I always thought that was funny. (laughs) But but you do have these elements of violence that you have to watch out. The biggest thing um, is really the Force. And when you've looked at some of the other TV shows that we've seen on Disney+, Plus, uh, The Mandalorian, Boba Fett, uh, you, that element of the Star Wars universe has sort of been throttled back. Yeah. Here we're talking about Jedi. So you have definitely the Force is back, quote-unquote, in Force. And I think for a lot of families, that could be a stumpily block. It's not like the force as in going through spells or anything of that, again, for people who don't know anything about Star Wars, it's just uh, sort of grabbing a hold of this essence right. that's in the world around us. Right, it's right. like manipulating energy within yeah. the world. It's uh, And it leans towards Eastern spirituality. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm sure, you know, it might differ from family to family. And, and you guys, you know, as the listeners, we're, we're going to have to make our own decisions with this one, right? Uh, it, you know, do we talk about Santa Claus in our house? You know, in my house, we, when we talked about Santa Claus, we said, uh, Hey, we like to pretend that there's this fun guy who gives gift away, you know, with Star <laughs> Wars, I feel like it's, 
I feel like it's very metaphorical and I think we can use it for discussion. You know, I mean, in Empire, that famous scene where, you know, Luke's, you know, uh, Starfighter, you know, gets all caught in a swamp and he's trying to lift it out and he's like, it's too big, you know, and Yoda gives that great speech to size matters not, look at me, judge me by my size too, you know, and the whole thing and and he does that and then he like pulls the land speeder, little tiny Yoda, like lifts the land speeder and the music kicks in, thank you John Williams, you know, and everything is just so good. And then finally Luke says, do you remember? He goes, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, that is why you fail. You know, I mean, that is a great scene right there. And that is such an incredible scene where we could talk about our own faith, you know? Sure, and here's this sure. metaphorical example where we could talk about the Holy Spirit or whatever. So I feel like it's kind of uh, kind of harmless. Well, and, That's and, my uh, personal thoughts. I, I think you bring up a really good point, honestly, Jonathan. One of the reasons why I think this franchise has been so successful is that it does deal with spirituality mm -hmm. more directly than I think a lot of other franchises do. In spirituality, whatever walk of life we're in is important to us, right? And, and so I think that it does give us a really good catalyst to talk about important issues. One of the things that I noticed in the show was they talk a little bit about the Jedi Code, you know, the Grand right. Inquisitor comes in and he talks about the Jedi Code, how it's an itch that the Jedis need to scratch. And, and because of that, uh, wherever a Jedi goes, even if they're in hiding, they can't help but do good things. And so that compassion will give them away. In fact, the Empire uses that against them yeah. to sort of root, root out the Jedis yeah. by trying to do bad things to people, and then the Jedi have to step up to protect them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but when, when I think about that, as I was watching that, I thought about, you know, that old song, they'll know that we were Christians by our love. Right. And you kind of think that that as Christians, that is how we should be introducing ourselves to the world, by our, by our love, by our compassion, making the world better as we go. Um, and I think that that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. So let me ask all of you, why is the Star Wars universe, why has it had such staying power? Why has it stayed as popular and as relevant as it has? I think Star Wars captured the heart of a generation. And, and I mean, Paul, you and I talk about that because we're the same age and we were, you know, seven years old when, when it first came out and it did something. It, it, Star Wars impacted us so much because it was like good versus evil. It's a small farm boy who ends up going and being the hero in the dogfight at the end. And it was everything we had seen in film before put into the science fiction setting and it literally captured us. So there was something powerful about that. And there, for me, when I sat down with my brother-in-law literally this past weekend and watched Obi-Wan, it brought me back. The nostalgia was like, almost nothing else I had seen before. And I know I said, Lord of the Rings is the one I quote the most, but I mean, honestly, Star Wars was probably the, you know, when, when you asked what was your favorite film, Star Wars, it was just yeah. a no brainer. Yeah. It was the film that did it. And that nostalgia is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, you are the only person in this room who has never known a world without Star Wars. This is true. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, why has it held your attention? Why is it one of your, your top franchises? I mean, well, what Jonathan just said about the nostalgia factor, you know, I grew up on the original trilogy. And then, you know, when I was like, I, I'm going to guess like seven or eight years old, that's when the second trilogy came out. And then uh, when I became an adult, the newest trilogy came out and they've had all the other stuff that's come up since then. Um, 
so it just keeps they keep expanding this universe that I grew up on and that I was already in love with but you know I think one of the reasons that Star Wars stands the test of time is because it it, it does take place in a fictional fantasy slash science fiction universe it's not our galaxy it's a galaxy far far away you know so because of that because it's almost timeless because there's nothing that ties it to any one generation within our universe so it belongs to everybody yeah yeah i think that's a really good point and i think that that's probably a good way to to wrap up our conversation where we we really are talking about an intergenerational franchise, right? I mean, we have these touchstones that as parents, we are familiar with one side of it. Our kids will be familiar with another side of it. Our grandparents might be familiar with the early version, whatever. You know, I think that you have you have these things that, that Star Wars encompasses a lot of family in a way. And really, it's a story about family. Um, it has some problems, and I think that for parents who are leery of the Force, I think that that's totally understandable. But as Jonathan was saying, I think that that can be navigable. And Star Wars is one of those few franchises that really deals with big issues, as Bob was saying, good and evil, mm-hmm. light and dark. And it tells us kind of what it means to be a good person. And I think that some of those messages can be passed down from generation to generation. Stranger Things is a big deal. How big? For Stranger Things 4, believe it or not, people watched more than 286.7 million hours in its first couple of days. Um, That's a record for Netflix. That beats the second season of Bridgerton. It beats all sorts of records. Uh, It was the number one watched show in 83 different countries, according to Netflix. His own figures. I I had seen a stat about the third season that within the first four days, when the third season came out, there were 40.7 million people that had streamed it, which is the population of a number of countries. (laughs) Well, exactly. And you look at those numbers, and that's almost like old-school television numbers. So so as we dive into this conversation, Emily Clark reviewed Stranger Things 4 for us. Uh, as we dive into this conversation, the first question I have for you, Emily, is why, why is Stranger Things so popular? <laughs> there's a, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think the first is that it's a well-written show. So if you're watching it, you're not going to sit there and be like, oh my gosh, this is so cheesy. And you're, you're not cringing your way through it. It's very well-written. Um, the second is the actors that they chose, both young and old. I mean, they're really talented. So you be, it's easy to become immersed in the story because the acting is very well done along with the writing. And honestly, I think the last thing is just uh, there's a lot of nostalgia at play here um, for people who, you know, lived through the 80s, but then also even for younger people because uh, a lot of the actors, you know, are the same age as, you know, a lot of the kids who are watching it. So it's like it's fun for them to watch, you know, their I wouldn't call them peers, but, you know, people their age out there doing their thing like that, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's like there's a lot of things at play here that make the franchise so popular. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's sort of like a love letter to the monster movies of the 80s, yes. you know? I mean, when I when I saw it first, especially the first season, it felt like that nostalgic, yeah, yeah. like a Stephen King movie seen through the lens of Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. in other words, yeah. it's it's kind of polished. It has a really nice look. 
and it harkens back to stories and ideas that we've heard in the past. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is interesting to see how the series has progressed. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, Emily, can you give us just a short, tiny thumbnail of what the show is about? Yeah, so Stranger Things is about this town of Hawkins, Indiana, uh, where there is a secret world underneath Hawkins called the Upside Down that is connected through this supernatural gate that was opened by a girl who has supernatural powers. And it's just all about how things from the Upside Down bleed into the real world of Hawkins, Indiana and cause all sorts of chaos and destruction. Creepy ways. Yes, very creepy, very strange. Yeah, Yeah, and it always has been kind of creepy. Like your description of it, it's sort of this monster movie, a, 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 a homage to monster movies. It really does feel pretty accurate. Um, It's interesting to see how the series has gone on. And it it feels like Stranger Things 4 um, takes us in some new directions. You know, the kids that that we started off with, they were were young, what, probably 10, 11 years old? No, they were about 12, 13 in the first season. And in this latest season, I think they're about... 15. Of course, the actors portraying them yeah, are they all look a like, lot older. I think they're yeah. all like 18, 19 now, but mm-hmm. that's just Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the kids are going through some changes. They're dealing with a lot of stuff beyond even the monsters involved. I, I think that, that romance feels like it's becoming a bigger part of the story than it has been in the past. Would that be oh! fair? I don't know that it's bigger necessarily. I think we started seeing that shift actually last season in season three. That's when, you know, Eleven and Mike, they're like making out and her dad is freaking out because he's like, well, you got to leave the door open three inches, you know, and it, it's, a, it's big, a good rule. It, it is a good rule, but it's a big <laughs> thing for them because they're all like having going through hormones, dealing with that sort of thing. And, you know. On the flip side of things, you have their older siblings who have been sleeping together since season one. So, you know, it's not like it's not like the content is new for the show. It's just new for these characters. Mm-hmm. And that can kind of make it feel it can make it feel weird because you're like, oh, wait a second. Aren't you 12? And then you have to remind yourself, OK, they are growing up. That's why they're kissing, you know, but it's also kind of daunting because you're like, oh, great. That means like in one more season, you're going to be you're yeah. going to be doing what the, what your older siblings were doing in season one. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like that you nailed it, Emily, when you said that now they're this age. So now the the kids who are the, you know, the protagonists, they're the ones now at this age. And now they're the ones navigating all these decisions and relationships and everything. And so, so I mean, in the first episode alone, we were seeing, you know, uh, kids smoking pot. We're seeing yep. all this, you know, curiosity about relationships between all kinds of different genders. And there's, it's almost every issue that kids are dealing with now, you know, they're like, okay, how can we bring a little bit of Gossip Girl into Stranger Things? Uh, I yeah, don't know. It just, yeah. it was a little, it's definitely not for young kids. Yeah. It felt to me like the early season, the first season, we'll say, it was much more endearing because the kids were young. Yeah. As they're getting older, like in this season, there's this heavy handed bullying going on where people are getting beaten up and humiliated in public and and hit with things and bleeding and all. And I mean, it's been really kind of heavy just from the kids perspective. I'm not even talking about the monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and that comes from, you know, just the fact that 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Every single one of these kids needs to be in therapy, especially Eleven. <laughs> but yeah. you know, the that, supernatural kid. For now, uh, well, that's the thing. When season four opens, she's actually lost all of her supernatural gifts at the beginning of season four. So it's about her adjusting to a world where she can't just throw a person across the room with her mind, which she does try to do, and kind of makes a fool of herself in front of her whole school because she can't do it. And then, she, so then they like they mock her and they make fun of her, and and unfortunately because they she's never really been able to process all the trauma she went through as a kid it's kind of turned her into a violent teenager yeah and and those stories alone would be difficult enough for us to navigate i mean as a parent in a real world situation watching watching those kinds of stories they can be kind of heavy all on their own right and then we've got as i said the other elements too well and that was one thing that i really noticed about this particular season is it's always had these horror elements to it but man it really ratchets those up right oh it definitely does i think in this season this season gets a lot more demonic Mm. in its spirituality um in fact okay so you guys probably know this, like Dungeons and Dragons. That's been a hotly debated topic for years about whether or not it's a demonic cult and all these other things. So they actually address that within the show. Um, you know, all the different articles that came out about how anybody who plays the game is part of this satanic cult. They're doing all these demonic rituals and things like that. So that element is actually played up in this season because they think a boy who, well, he's not a boy. He's he's a man who's repeating his third or fourth year of high school um senior year of high school so um he's actually a qualified adult everybody else is a teenager still but regardless because he loves dungeons and dragons and he's kind of an outsider and a freak people just assume oh he's guilty he murdered that person you know so they're kind of like hunting him down because he plays the game and he's actually innocent but on the flip side of things there is a demonic element you see things that honestly remind me of a lot of different um horror movies that i've watched for plugged in over the years like the conjuring you see people getting like their eyes roll back into their head they enter into this trance they levitate in the air and then you see bones snapping like it's kind of gross and like it's very dark and it's to a level that we haven't seen before right. yeah. in the show. Yeah, it makes so, the, it makes the first season look really lightweight. I know to be honest. it's yeah. kind of crazy yeah. because yeah. even in the first season there were things that happened that it was like, whoa, that is not pleasant, you know. Yeah. But this season four definitely kicked it up a notch. Yeah, I, I do think that that Stranger Things has always had it, it's well produced, it's well made, but it has always had problems for families. Even if your family has sort of navigated the Stranger Things world, uh, you might want to push pause in this latest season because it is just really, really dark and and horrific. Good word. Yeah. If we were to put an age rating on this show, it might be navigable if your kids are the same age as the kids in the show. But if I'm being honest, they should at least be the age of the actors portraying them in the show it does if feel, they're going to watch it. It does feel close like, to an R-rated yeah, show. I feel like no season one when they were 12, I don't know that I would have, at 12 years old, that I would have been allowed to watch that with good reason. That, w- that would have given me nightmares when I was 12. At, now, if I was 15 watching it, that would have been a lot more navigable. At 18, watching this current season, 
that would be navigable for me. But yeah, no, I don't think that at 15, I could watch season four, which is the age the kids are within the show. But at 18, which is the age of the actors, I probably could have. That's a very good point. The fact that the first season was like a nightmare. And this is much more like a hellish, demonic world. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good place to end our conversation. There's a lot of language you have to be aware of, too, but it's just very, very dark and and depressing. And, and man, it's if you don't want your family turned upside down by this show, (laughs) you might want to not watch it at all. And now it is time for what we like to call Pop Culture Connection where our esteemed producer, Ashley, asks us all a pop culture question, which we have 30 seconds to answer and give as many reasons why we give the answer we do. Mm-hmm. And the winner takes home a car. No. No. If only. <laughs> if that only. would be nice. That would be nice. Just so I would demand a recount for sure. <laughs> so, I think there's there's been a few hanging chads in the last... Uh... So, Ashley, she is always the one who counts out the points. So we will let you go at it, Ashley. Sounds good. All right, Emily, I'm going to have you go first. Your question is, would you choose 80s music or country and why? 80s, 100%. Just, I'm sorry. First of all, I don't like country music, in case you couldn't tell. that That's the reason for my snap decision there. But 80s had some great music. There were just, there's, oh my goodness. I'm probably going to mix up some 70s and 80s music references here. But like, there are so many good bands. There's so many good songs. The It's just, it's classic rock. It's it, it has that timeless vibe where like, even if you go back and listen to it today, it is more original. There you go. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, I don't know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you did well. I See, it's, had, it's I too bad we can't four. debate on these. Oh, I know. Because we could we could have a nice little debate I mean, on Jonathan them. gave me six, though, and now I'm kind of like... six. Yeah. Well, Jonathan it's okay. contested my counting abilities I in know. the introduction. I know. Isn't that crazy? And then he actually gave me more points right? than you did. And wow. so I actually... I'm going to have Jonathan go next. But, Jonathan, I was going to give you negative points for that little dig that you gave me. <laughs> And then I was going to give you positive points for your Yoda impression because I thought that was great. Oh, there we go. The Yoda but now cool. I have to give you negative points because you called Luke's X-Wing on Dagobah a land speeder. Thank you. I actually heard that too, and I didn't correct him, but I was like, mm. <laughs> So you're starting Wait, the... I, I said land, I said land speeder instead of yes, Starfighter? Yes, he did. Instead of X-Wing. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know? Yeah, that was, that was me thinking about Yoda and not thinking about the sentence I was saying at the moment. That's funny. Yes. Well, wow. all right. So you're already starting off in the red. So let's get you going here with a good question. Your question is, what is the best early internet rom-com, Sleepless in Seattle or You Got Mail, and why? Definitely Sleepless in Seattle. I mean, first of all, you know, you got Rob Reiner in there, which is awesome. You got Nora Ephraim behind the wheel. You've got Tom Hanks. I mean, and of course, you know, Meg Ryan. You've got New York City. I mean, uh, you have hilarious, like, antidotes with, I mean, what, and what movies show a more accurate, terrible babysitter as that movie, you know? You got creative <laughs> script writing with, with uh, the romance. You got Bill uh, Pullman as kind of the goofy guy with the bad allergies. Can I just say really quick, three of your three of your points also apply to You've Got Mail. 
Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks in New York. I mean. <laughs> yeah, but you got mail just stunk. I mean, come on. It doesn't even compare. I man. disagree. No, no. I disagree. <laughs> and so does Kristen, even though she's not here. <laughs> well, but, Jonathan. Oh, that's funny. You represent her vote. I represent Kristen's uh, wait, vote. Wait, wait. I want to hear this count. I, gotta, I counted I can't wait. 10 good points on that. Oh, one. my goodness. Because yes. you brought up Bill Pullman, who's one of my favorite actors. I'm going to give you that full 10. Oh, oh wow. Absolutely. Well, then raise one negative. Why, why don't we just sort of give up? Oh, my goodness. There's no way to come up with a 10. All right. Are we ready for the next one? Sure. Let's see. Mr. Hoos, I'm going to have you go. And your question is, what do you consider to be the best comedy movie ever and why? Um... Uh, <laughs> you know, my mind just went completely blank. And so I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to sit here and and, and talk Stall. for a minute. Uh, <laughs> best comedy movie. My goodness. Really, I have, I have gone completely blank on this one. And this earns a complete zero. Any answer. Any answer. I, I, but I... I mean, is that supposed to happen in the this game? The Princess Bride. <laughs> There's your comedy. Ooh, well, but that's not the father of the bride. It's not. It's not. Any bride it's not movie. a pure comedy, you know. I mean, really, there's no, there was no comedy that came to mind for me at all. Hmm. Even though I love comedy, but I guess all all the comedy I've seen recently has just been bad. Comedy. So this is the, oh, this fair. is a first. Yeah, because this is a first. First one where we had a complete goose egg. I thought you were going to say some like it hot. Yeah, I, th- I thought some like it hot was going to be right there. Okay, but to be fair, you saying that there's not really been any good comedies lately, like, I think that's actually a pretty good cultural point right there. There are a lot of comedies that have come out recently that have just been, oh, they're just not funny even, because they're just, well, they're just crass. Thank you for redeeming my ineptitude. Yeah, I think he gets a point for that. <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> One point. One, One point. point. <laughs> All right, Paul, are you ready? I am so ready. All right. Here we go. Your question is, what is the craziest reality show you've ever seen, and what made it so silly? Oh, that's a really good question. You know what? I'm going to go with... Oh, man, this is going to be so difficult. You know, I'm going to go with Survivor. It's not the craziest by far because there's a lot of other crazy shows. But it was the first, and it did some crazy things. You see, in the very first season, you had some very weird sexual harassment issues that came up for real. Uh, So that was kind of a weird thing. You saw people sort of get skinnier as time went on. Oh, my God. See, if you had stalled just a little bit longer, you would have ended up in the same camp as me. I know. <laughs> oh, I know. There's a lot of really crazy reality shows out there. there man, are. oh man. There but are. I couldn't think of their names, you know? Right? I think about like the Osborne show, but yeah, yeah. that's not really that crazy either. Well, you know? There are some out there. And maybe our audience can give us a, an email or something and let us know about the crazy ones that they've watched. I think that would be great. That'd be awesome. All right. <laughs> and comedies. We experts comedies. need to know about the comedies. <laughs> No, just Bob. (laughs) So I gave you three points, Paul. Good job. Three points. So I think all told, if you counted up all three of our scores, Bob and mine and and Emily's, I don't think we equaled Jonathan. I think Jonathan Jonathan still won. won. Jonathan, you vex me. (laughs) Well, that's what I try to do. (laughs) All right. So on that strange note, 
which I guess is appropriate for a Stranger Things-themed show, uh, we will say goodbye. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you've enjoyed this show, tell your friends. Use Jedi mind tricks to force them to listen if necessary. Word of mouth is the best way to get our show out there. Uh, you can, of course, always leave a comment uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this show and tell us. Have you watched Kenobi or Stranger Things? What did you think? What are your favorite comedies? What is the craziest <laughs> reality show you've seen? Did Jonathan really deserve those 10 points? Oh, Be man. sure <laughs> to let us know. You can also get in touch with us, of course, on Facebook or Instagram, or send us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. Thanks again for listening today. We really appreciate you and love having a chance to connect with you with these conversations. Uh, we look forward to connecting with you again next week or really any time at The Plugged In Show. Plugged In.